All right, you should navigate over to Isaiah chapter 3 so that you can follow along. I enjoy encouraging you to follow along so that the Lord will speak to you personally from his word. It's a wonderful thing to just listen to his word and read it and have him give you uh, small and great insights into life. So that's our text, all of chapter 3 into chapter 4, verse 1. The topic, the leadership in Judah was so incapable that it was like having babies for rulers. The title of the message, Boss Babies. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as always, we acknowledge that uh, you are here, uh, your presence by the Spirit, Lord, in the temple of our bodies and in the temple that we create when we get together. You promised that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, and so we ask that he would teach us, that he would come alongside to help us and counsel us, so we ask for that as well. We've all come here, Lord, in a different place in our walk and in our understanding of you and of life itself. We want to know, Lord, that uh, all things will and do work together for the good to those that love you and are called according to your purposes. And so, uh, Lord, just be real to us, we pray, and help us through this text in a way that makes it meaningful and alive for today. We pray in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, amen. He's known as the boy king. King Tut became pharaoh of Egypt at age nine, then ruled for 10 years. I can't help it. it it's a thing in my generation, but every time I hear King Tut, I want to say, how'd you get so funky, right? <laughs> Anybody remember that, Steve Martin? Yeah, funky Tut. Archaeologists have cataloged over 5,000 items entombed with him. The latest find was a pair of his underwear. They bear the label, Fruit of the Tomb. <laughs> true, absolutely true. <laughs> You guys need to come first service. But anyway, the <laughs> southern Jewish kingdom of Judah was sometimes ruled by boy kings. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. Manasseh was 12. Josiah was 8. Jehoash was 7. It's one thing to have a boy for your king, quite another to call your adult king a baby. In verse 4, God said, I will give children to be their princes and babies shall rule over them. The Lord wasn't referring to their physical age. God would give them leaders who had the characteristics of babies and toddlers. We're talking about children at their worst. Defiant, disobedient, disrespectful. Think back on some of your most difficult moments with your kids and imagine what the consequences would have been if they had been in charge and had gotten their way. It It'd be a mad, mad world, I'll tell you, that's, that's something. Isaiah's primary audience was 8th century Judah, but because God is over all the nations, some of the descriptions and warnings apply to any nation. We just want to be careful not to cross a line. Hope is expressed in verse 10, Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Verse 10 needs to be our national identity. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, God gives your nation leaders it deserves. And number two, God gives you righteousness you don't deserve. Let's take a look at the leaders God sometimes gives. And this will be the majority of the study. We're saving verses 10 and 11 
uh, of uh, chapter 3 for the end. So we'll skip those. Don't, th- don't raise your hand and say, Pastor Gene, you've lost it. We, we skipped those verses. And I go like this. Start walking off. So anyway, never mind. Can you say Lord of the Flies? In that classic, a group of British boys is stranded on an island. Their attempts to govern themselves are horrific. God provides boss babies when he is trying to get a nation to turn to him. Leaders that you can't make heads or tails out of. Uh, I think we're, we may be close to that or past that. I just, you decide. Verse 1 of chapter 3. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. Again, we don't want to look at what is happening in our own nation and shoehorn into it everything that will fit from here about Judah. But some of the things we'll talk about are definitely happening in the United States. Stock, store, supply. God promised the Jews physical, abundant resources if they'd obey him. If they rebelled, they could expect shortages. This is not a unique promise to the Jews. God wants to bless every nation that looks to him. Shortages can be an indication God has withdrawn his protection and blessing. Stock store supply shortages are happening right now. Here's an ominous quote. The cost of some food items in the supermarkets has already increased up to 44%. One importer exporter of goods has identified another predicament, a looming food shortage. Some recent headlines amplify the shortage. U.S. braces for pain as farmers warn 2023 to be plagued by shortages. UN chief warns of catastrophic food shortages. France bracing for catastrophic food shortages. No croissants. That's the one that really struck me. But anyway, World Food Program says the world faces a global hunger crisis of unprecedented proportions. One expert said, the only question is how high food prices will go and how severe the food shortages will be. What are some of the world's boss babies doing about food shortages? Chairman of the largest industrial manufacturing company in Europe told a panel at the recently concluded World Economic Forum that one billion people should stop eating meat in order to save the climate. Where do you sign that petition? Dutch livestock farmers are being forced out of business because they can't meet new UN nitrogen emission standards. We've uh, spoken about this in a prophecy update, but the, UN, uh, the EU, through the UN, uh, has adopted new emission standards for farmers, and they're pretty impossible. If you can't meet them, you can't farm. And so with this catastrophic food shortage, they're shutting down farmers because we're trying to save the planet. Bill Gates, we talked about him. He's pushing genetic engineering of lab food as the solution. And that's why he is in the process of taking over the world's food supply. Verse 2, the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the diviner, the elder, captains of 50, and the honorable man, the counselor, and the skillful artisan, and the expert enchanter. First of all, diviner derives from a word that can be applied to any wise advisor devoid of occultic connotations. Think of the Magi in Daniel's time. He would have been considered a Magi because he was raised with those uh, kind of guys and stuff. And so it, it doesn't necessarily mean something cultic. 
Same with enchanter, which I think our translation online said necromancer. I don't know, there's something weird about it. Necromancer. Anyway, uh, that can be just an eloquent orator, somebody who is able to communicate. There would be a catastrophic shortage of good men. So the food shortages and the other things would be one thing, but they wouldn't have any men to really lead that weren't babies. Last week, and this is pretty historic, in the country of Haiti, the last of the elected leaders departed office. Haiti has no elected leaders at any level of, the feder of what we would call their federal government. No president, no vice president, no members of Congress, uh, no one. No one is leading Haiti at the time. It's hard to exaggerate how awful the conditions have become. Sometimes I think we read the Bible and say, oh, that kind of stuff is an exaggeration. That could never happen. There's no famine of leadership. Oh, yeah, there is. It's happening in Haiti. And then we say, well, it would never happen here. I hope you're right. One op-ed writer said of the United States, whether one is Democrat, Republican, or Independent, poor leadership or the lack of leadership is the cause of our country's plunge into the abyss of depravity. A poll conducted in January found 21% ranked the government and poor leadership as the most important problem facing our nation today. Sadly, that same poll found that only 4% are worried about moral decline. Uh, verse 4, Isaiah 3, 4. I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them, or babies. The uh, people will be oppressed, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. Albert Barnes commented saying, this describes the state of anarchy and confusion which would exist under the reign of children and babies when all law would be powerless and all rights violated and when the feeble would be oppressed and borne down by the strong. Could you imagine a press conference? And now the President of the United States and some toddler is running around the stage throwing a tantrum. No, you can't, but you know, that's, that's how God sees it sometimes. He says, all right, you don't want to have anything to do with me? Here are some leaders for you. See if you can figure it out. The relaxation of sentencing laws, the early release of violent offenders, the organizing of violent protests across America, whatever you think of these issues politically, our country is definitely suffering from a legislated breakdown of law and order. Verse 6, when a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father saying, you have clothing, be our ruler, let these ruins be under your power. In that day he will protest saying, I can't cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. The shortages would bring out the worst in people, the way they always do in any society. It would be every man for himself, even among family. One of the things this depicts is a family member looking for shelter, perhaps asking his brother or whoever to take on a greater role since he seems to have some wealth. And he says, hey, you know, it's every man for himself, I'm sorry. I'm not going to help you or anyone else. Verse 8, by the way, that's the, uh, in every dystopian sci-fi thing, there's always the one survivalist who's every man for himself, right? He's got tractors and nitrogen and atom bombs and, you know, food to last 300 years, but he's not going to share any. And then he decides to share it and they kill him. Uh, so you think, huh, I wonder how I would do that. Verse 8, for Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory 
They look on the countenance, uh, the, the look on their countenance, witnesses against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. This isn't the first time God has accused Judah of being like Sodom. One thing you never want to be like is Sodom. Very bad reputation, very, very bad in the Bible. Lot took two angels God dispatched to Sodom into his house for the evening, fearing what his godless, sexually deviant neighbors would do to them. We read, they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. It's a great story. They go on to try and break down the door. The angels pull Lot inside. They strike the mob with blindness. And instead of thinking, whoa, I'm blind, I can't see, they kept trying to break into the house because their lust their, uh, for, for this sexual rape that they were going to commit was, was so great. And so you definitely don't want to be identified with Sodom, either as a, especially as a nation. The Attorney General's Commission on Pornography, also known as the Meese Report, was ordered by President Reagan. One reporter described it saying, the 11 commissioners devoted hundreds of hours to scrutinizing the unwatchable, listening to the unspeakable, descriptions of which are unprintable. Several of them were prominent Christian leaders. Okay, Jim, let's get to work today. Roll it. And for hundreds of hours, they watched it, pornography, and said, yeah, yeah, that's pornography, but let's, I, we need to get to the end to be sure that there's no redeeming value. This is, it was so ridiculous. I was a young Christian at the time, and I thought, what are you guys doing? You don't need to watch porn to identify sexual sin. You know it by revelation. God has explained in his word what is holy and undefiled, and whatever is not that is sexual sin at some level. God's gift of sexuality is to be enjoyed in a marriage between one biological male and one biological female in a monogamous heterosexual covenant of companionship that exists as long as they are both living. Anything else is sexual sin. And so you, you, you have your standard, and then you say, okay, what's in this movie? What's in this show? What's in this magazine? What's online here? Well, this. Okay, well then, that, that would constitute sexual immorality. And so I, do I have to watch that to be sure? No, I, I think you can be pretty sure. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's what God says uh, we ought to do and be, and those are our boundaries, and they're for our good. God said they have brought evil upon themselves. Sin has inevitable temporal and eternal consequences. One of the most awful of them is that God withdraws his presence and protection. Left to ourselves, we go down the drain. An ever-accelerating rate of sexual immorality is absolutely a sign God has withdrawn from a nation. Read, especially towards the end of Romans chapter 1, sometime this week. It talks about the downward spiral of society, and most of it, much of it, has to do with sexual deviancy from God's standards. And, uh, you know, lately I haven't been giving you a lot of examples. You don't need examples of what's happening in the culture to know that there's a lot of sexually deviant things going on. Uh, and all you really need to know is, does it fit into this? No, it certainly doesn't fit into God's definition. And so we're, we're in trouble as a nation. Uh, I, I think if God was writing to us, he, he could easily compare us to Sodom. And uh, pretty bad. 
Verse 12, as for my people, children are their oppressors. Women rule over them. Oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Do you remember the terrible twos? Who remembers the terrible twos? Not yours, but as parents. You have to be in a certain age group because you, you can't use that terminology anymore. It's not politically correct. It, it, it hurts your two-year-old to say that he's in the terrible twos. Your two-year-old is not terrible, Pastor Gene. How dare you? How dare you? You're the one that needs counseling. And, and so, but I remember well the terrible twos as a young parent. You think, especially your first kid, you think, terrible twos. Yeah, you're just not raising them right. And then overnight, your life is destroyed. <laughs> It's, it's like, you, you know, you, if you're a husband that, work, you know, if you have a kind of the, the nuclear family where the wife stays home and the husband works, it's time for overtime at work. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, honey, I, I really wish I could. Oh, yeah, I hear you. I'm coming, Joe. Yeah, uh, I got to, uh, Joe needs me. And, uh, you know, you ultimately do have to go home and your wife is like. And the kid just has the same energy, you know, it's like, let's go, pops. And uh, so. Uh, so anyway, that all belongs to a bygone age of parenting, the golden age of parenting. The leaders were full-sized toddlers in their terrible twos. And, and so that's the way God is putting it. The reference to women ruling is not about the role of women. The leaders were taking foreign wives and mistresses. They were influenced by them to idolatry. Most of the time it involves sexual perversions in the so-called worship of the idols. And as a result, of course, of the leader's behavior, the people were stumbled because they were no longer on the path of righteousness. They would go to the temple and worship, well, go through the motions of worshiping Jehovah, but then they would go out into the fields, to the high places and wherever, and uh, commit these sexually deviant acts in the worship of these other foreign gods and goddesses. And so that's what's going on there. Verse 13, the Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard, the plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts. God is going to speak endearingly of Judah as his vineyard in a chapter or two. The leaders are, in a sense, devouring his vineyard, keeping it all for themselves, and it's describing just their oppression of the poor. Uh, because they could, they oppressed the poor and took everything from them. And um, it, it makes God angry when we oppress the poor, widows, orphans. He looks for a society to take care of those people. Now, beginning with verse 16, I'm asking you ladies, please, please, refrain from making noise with your jingling anklets. Moreover, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves, and the crescents, pendants, bracelets, veils, headdresses, leg ornaments, headbands, Perfume boxes, charms, rings, nose jewels, festal apparel, mantles, outer garments, purses, mirrors, fine linen, turbans, and the robes. This gal definitely had a walk-in closet. Uh, we're talking about a lot of stuff here. Now, ladies, 
I, I have to ask you this. This isn't the main part of it, but I do have to ask. Do you mince when you walk? Hopefully not. Uh, this is the only occurrence of this word in the Bible. That's what makes it interesting. It might be similar to a word rarely used, uh, coquettish. Have you, are you familiar with that? Someone is coquettish. Uh, it's, it's a weird world. Uh, it means to act in a way that tries to attract attention uh, or in a flirtatious way. It, it's in that kind of vein. On a spiritual level, we are to decrease so that Jesus increases. Men and women really shouldn't be trying to attract attention to themselves. It's okay to look nice and be presentable. Just don't dress to kill. Uh, now, uh, just because something is on this list doesn't make it sinful. This list isn't here to once for all solve the theological dilemma of nose rings in the church. Okay? What you don't need is your pastor telling you how to dress. Uh, how, however, I will say that there's a spectrum, right? Uh, I mean, and, and sometimes, especially young Christian ladies and girls, they're, they're, on the, they're on the, too far on the spectrum on the wrong side. Uh, I told this story first service, so I owe it to you. Uh, but anyway... Uh, used to have an office on 11th Avenue. That was our church office there. And one um, uh, day this gal and her husband, they had just started coming to the church. And she wanted to know if she could come in and talk to me uh, about a few things. I said, sure. And um, my secretary at the time was Pam Jennings. She was there. And so this gal comes in, uh, and it's summer, you know. And so <laughs> she's wearing a tiny, tiny tank top, uh, tiny, teeny, tiny microscopic shorts, and flip-flops. And so she comes in and she sits in my office. I leave the door open. Pam walks up and down the, the hallway every few minutes just to you know, check on me and stuff. And so we're talking. We're having a great talk you know, about Christ and, and all that. And then she got into some things. And she said, you know, my husband wanted me to come and talk to you because he thinks I dress suggestively. And I said, well, he thinks that because you do. <laughs> and so, yeah, she, and, but you know what? She goes, really? I go, yeah, um, would you go, I, I, I say, hey, would you go like this to your, yeah, I would. I go, okay, well, never mind, that's the wrong line of reasoning, but I said, you are, I said, I don't want to be a nerd or anything, uh, or a prude, but you are not dressed appropriately for a meeting with your pastor, and so, and, you know, she improved over the years, but um, uh, there are, you know, you, you can be blowing it, ladies, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I, I may have done that once or twice, and I've told you before that I broke my leg in softball. That's not really true. I told a lady she should get rid of her ankle bracelets. But anyway, no. That's... <laughs> I'm really fascinated with the jingling ankle bracelets. I just, I think we should sell those with Calvary Chapel on it. So, Here's what's really going on. One of the commentators I trust explains that the women of Judah were being influenced in all things by the women from the godless neighbor nations, Egypt, Moab, Syria, Philistia, and Assyria. Like YouTube influencers today, the women of these foreign countries surrounding them were influencing them to dress not like Jewish women uh, in their culture, but more like a combination of the Moabite, Syrian, Egyptian look. You know, what, what was on the runway in Assyria that year, that kind of thing. Proper adornment is described by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 where he says, don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging your hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. 
Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Uh, I guess my advice would be, uh, especially to the ladies, Make that a special a verse that you read from time to time. Spend time with the Lord, and I think um, I don't want to use the word automatically, but uh, the Holy Spirit will influence you on your clothing choices and uh, these kinds of things. And and he he's who you want to respond to, and your husband, and you know figure all that out. Uh, and so uh, I don't think. Let me let me think for a minute. No, we don't have a problem here. No problems with how anybody dresses, except some of the guys. You know, guys. Wash your clothes, you know, wash. wouldn't hurt to wash your clothes. Verse 24, and so it shall be, instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. This is a description of what it is like to be conquered and go into captivity. Uh, this is how they would be treated especially by the Assyrians. The Assyrians are brutal people. Uh, they would brand and shave the head and hook a, you know, you'd have to walk back with them to wherever they were taking you and they would get a huge hook, fish hook, imagine, but a huge one, and they would hook it through your jaw like a fish and drag you along naked and shaved and stinking. Uh, and so the Lord says, hey, this is what's in your future if you don't return to me. Do you ever look at old pictures of yourself and wonder, what was I thinking? <laughs> Not just the style. I mean, you know, big lapels, white tuxedo. You know, I had a, a white tailed tuxedo at my wedding. I was like, you know, really going for it, you know. And, and all the colors, the pastel colors and stuff. And I think, man, what, what was society thinking? But, you know, sometimes you just blow it on your own. You know, it's bad enough, you know, and stuff. And and now you look back and you think, now I know why my parents stopped me. They didn't want me to ruin my life when I was 12 years old, you know, and and it'd be all downhill after that. There are several places in the Bible where God describes how people see themselves compared to how they really look to him. If we are walking in sin, we may think we are walking in our freedom in Christ. God sees us as conquered by sin, stinking, shaved, sackcloth, and branded. And he's happy to show us what we look like if we will spend time with him and be sincere in asking him. Your men shall fall by the sword, your mighty in the war. Her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit on the ground. God addresses Jerusalem directly in these two verses. The great city of God, of which the Lord said, I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there, would be brought low on account of Judah's sin. It would become a reproach. We address our nation directly, do we not? My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. There's a lyric I had never heard before. Do you ever look at hymns and songs like this and find there's like 700 verses to it that you've never heard? Our fathers, God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God our King. Did anybody know that lyric? Do you remember that? Yeah, you would, Terry, because you're a patriot. Terry sings that song every day. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe. We need to acknowledge our great God and King. If we're going to sing to our nation, (laughs) we should sing to it about God. 
Chapter 4, verse 1, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only please let us be called by your name and take away our reproach. How would you answer the theological dilemma, why go to Surf City? Because there are two girls for every boy. That's the answer to that. Remember? Anybody know who the Beach Boys is? Let's start there. Okay, right. Most of you don't. What do you do with your spare time? What kind of music are you listening to? You need to listen to the music I listen to. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I never really liked the Beach Boys, but they're iconic, classic, right? Yeah. Well, I didn't. I'm sorry. I was never a Beach Boy myself. Or maybe there was a deep, uh, you know, uh, resentment of my father for being an immigrant. (laughs) And the beach reminded me of the beaches of Normandy. I like to psychoanalyze things. In Jerusalem, the ratio would be more like seven to one. It was a reproach for a woman to remain unmarried, so so many men would be killed that the only way to be married would be to go Mormon and have big love as a multiple wife. Even then, the ladies would have to fend for themselves instead of having the protection of a husband. They're saying, hey, look, we'll marry you. You don't have to do anything for us. We just want to get the reproach, uh, you know, off of us. And, and uh, you know, it just talks about how, what a terrible situation it was. So let's review what characterizes a nation that is being warned by God to repent. Stock, store, supply shortages, Sodom-level deviant open sexual immorality, and incapable leadership likened to being ruled by disobedient, rebellious, terrible twos, toddlers. I'm sure if we took a poll on the way out and I asked you, what do you think about those three things? You say, yeah, that's, sadly, that sounds like us. And, and, you know, question, is our governor a boss baby? Governor Newsom announced his plan to self-medicate our state out of our addiction epidemic. This is his solution to the epidemic of addiction in California. Medicate yourself with what you're addicted to. He said, and I quote, clean and sober is a big mistake, one of the biggest mistakes this country ever made. We all need to self-medicate periodically. Hand me that doobie. But anyway, this is insane. There was one of the slides that we show in the slideshow, if you remember it, I think, I forget who the author was, but it says, you can't reason with unbelief, you can only preach to it. And so if you think, what is wrong with our leaders? They're boss babies. And if there ever was a good example of it in the United States, it's now. God gives you righteousness you don't deserve If you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, I know it's bad, Gene, but what are we supposed to do about it? What's the plan? Don't you hate it when all they do is talk about how bad things are and they never get to the plan? Well, we do have a plan. On a national level, Proverbs 14.34 says, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. And so if you want our nation to be exalted again, righteousness is key. On a personal level, the Apostle Paul put it like this. Turn to God from idols and serve the living and true God. And so the plan is the same plan that it's always been. The plan is the gospel calling unbelievers to God from idols and to rid ourselves of idols in order to walk in righteousness. And so in verse 10 and 11 we read, Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked! It shall be ill with him 
for the reward of his hands shall be given him. The wicked is the person whose only reward is based on his or her own good works. But the Bible says there's only one work that the Lord will accept, and that is to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Whoever you think is the greatest human being of all time, philanthropist or uh, you know, healer or you know, all-around nice person, they're going to fall far short of God's standard of righteousness when they stand before him because they did not believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and so that's the wicked. Uh, their own works are not sufficient for salvation. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to ask yourself, what do I think it's going to take to get into heaven? And then at some point, God's going to show you, well, here's what I did. I sent my son to be human, the God-man, to die for the sins of the world. It cost his life, his blood, for me to save people. So if you're thinking you're going to bring you know, something before the Lord and say, well, I once went on a missions trip and pulled out a few teeth, uh, it, it's just not going to cut it. Or if you say, hey, I'm right behind Mother Teresa in my philanthropy and stuff, no, sorry, because God says, uh, he's on record saying uh, that his son is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. It's, it's pretty heavy, you know, to talk about the United States. Isaiah is turning out to be a, not a heavy book, but a, a very insightful book, right? It's my end music. I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going out with music. I feel that's just so cool, except that I don't know what to say now. Anyway, Pastor Gene will be back next week with the next installment of Isaiah. It's all right, yeah. I love it. That's all right. Keep now. She's more stuff's coming out of her purse. More and more stuff. It's like a Mary Poppins situation over here. But anyway, hey guys, um, you know I love our country. You love our country. It's easy to you know criticize uh, and, and and you know kind of you know all that thing. That's not what we're trying to do. God wants to uh, bless the United States. In fact. This is what I was looking for. Um, let's see, I'm, this one page, where did it go? Eh, I think it got erased somehow. But uh, there's scripture in, in uh, Jeremiah. I'll be quoting it a lot during these studies. Jeremiah says, if you'll repent, I will relent. If you won't repent, I'm going to have to judge. And he was talking to all the nations of the world, not just Israel. And so we need national repentance, national revival. Uh, that's what's going to save us. Uh, if anything will. And that starts in the church with our hearts. I was thinking uh, this week about uh, the, the city of Ephesus in the book of Acts. Uh, there was a time in which, uh, you know, the church had been going for a while and things looked good. And then Paul got into a, a, a situation where there was some demonic presence. And the next thing you know, the believers brought out all of their books on the occult and all the things they were dabbling with. And it, they made a huge bonfire out of it that, you know, the, the writer in the Acts, uh, book of Acts, Luke, he says what the worth of it was. And, and the picture that we, we get is that so, sometimes we need to bonfire things in our lives and just get back to basic Christianity and, and just, you know, walk with the Lord. Do the things you did when you were first saved. Return to our first love. Uh, it's, it's not hard. Whether God judges our nation despite that or not, that's where we need to be, right? We need to be walking with him.
Uh, and, you know, Lord knows for the entire time I've been a Christian, like going on, is it 40 years? I don't know. Some, it's, it's a long time. Um, we've been ripe for judgment. And it's not getting any better. So pray about it. Uh, seek the Lord. But especially for your heart to be transformed if you're not a believer. And if you are, uh, to just be yielding and obedient to the Spirit.